the last uh, school year, we went through Genesis 1, 2, and 3, learning about creation and also, unfortunately, about sin. Now we're going to start Genesis chapter 4. So go ahead and turn forward to chapter 4, and I'll read chapter 4, verses 1, all the way through verse 16. Then I'll pray for us, and we'll get into the word, okay? Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the shepherd said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Please pray with me. Father, You knew that Adam and Eve would sin. You knew that Cain would sin. And you knew, Lord, all the way down to us that we would sin. Oh, how you hate sin, Lord. How it breaks your heart, how it devastates the world, how it messes up everything. Teach us, Lord, that sin is our worst enemy and sin has ruined everything. But also teach us, Lord, that there is hope. Hope only in your promise your promise to send a savior. I thank you, Father, for every single person you brought into this room. Would you speak to them? Would you encourage them? Would you convict them? Would you help them? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My favorite question in the world is why? Why do microwaves make things hotter and not colder? Why is there so much traffic on the 405, even at like midnight? Why is it that everything I like to eat, cookies, candy, pizza, ice cream, is so bad for me. I'm sure you ask why a lot too. Why is your brother like annoying you so much? Or why is that person in your class so mean? Or why can't you have a phone when all your friends have a phone? All good questions, most of them with good answers. But have you ever asked, why is there bad things in the world? Why do accidents happen? 
Why do people do bad things? Why are kids abandoned by their parents? Why is there cancer and car crashes and catastrophes? Why do grandmas and grandpas and loved ones die? Why is the world so messed up? Why is there suffering and pain? Frankly, why is life so hard and not just easy? You ever asked why? As I said before, today we restart our series in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God. And I love the book of Genesis because it answers so many of these kinds of questions. Who is God? Where do we come from? What is our purpose here on earth? Where are we going? Why is our world so messed up? Genesis answers, why is our world so messed up? When God made the world, it, all, it wasn't always this way. In the beginning, God made the world good. In fact, really good, very good, with a perfect environment, with perfect people, and he gave man everything that he needed for, for life. Breath, food, resources, a place to live, a, a purpose. God's world was good because God himself is perfectly good. But today, you look around our world, who thinks it's good? Perfectly good. No one, right? So what happened? What happened to the perfect world that God had made? What changed? What messed it all up? And the answer is sin. Our sin ruined the world. If you've grown up in church, you know the story. If you haven't grown up in church, you probably still know the story. Adam and Eve took the fruit from the forbidden tree they ate it against God's command, and because of that sin, God cursed the earth. And that's why things are so messed up, because of sin. Sin is one of those words we use a lot, but we don't often understand what we mean by that word. So let me give you a quick definition from the New City Catechism. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, not being and not doing what he requires in his law. If you like that definition, let me give you some more. Sin is any violation, any breaking of God's law. Sin is failing to meet God's perfect standard of holiness. Sin is rebelling against God's good commands. Sin is making God your enemy. Sin is treason against the creator of the universe. Sin is not only doing something that is wrong, but it's failing to do what is right. Sin is self-centeredness instead of God-centeredness. Sin is making anything so important in your life that you worship it like an idol. Genesis 3 tells us how sin entered into the world. Adam and Eve sinned. And it tells us the consequence. God said, in the day that you eat of that forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. Because of that sin, God cursed the serpent. He multiplied the woman's pain. He cursed the ground that Adam had to work. And then he drove them out of Eden, away from his presence. That's pretty bad, right? Death, toil, sweat from working so hard, separation from God, pain. From one fountain of sin flows all of the suffering and filth that we experience in the world. But here's the thing. It gets worse. Genesis 4 tells us how. Genesis 4 tells us that sin's consequence didn't stop after Genesis 3, but it continued. It tells us how the poison of sin flowed into everything, to the very fabric of the human soul, into the bonds, relationships that we have with one another, even corrupted our relationship with God. It leaves nothing untouched. Sin ruined everything. Sin ruined everything. 
not just things a long, long time ago, but things today, here and now. Sin is not a friend. It's not something you play around with. Sin is your enemy. It's a ravenous wolf. It's a terrible foe. It will destroy you. You must believe that sin ruined everything. You must believe that sin ruined you and me. Sin's not just something outside of us. It's something we want to avoid. Sin is here in your very heart. And sin doesn't only describe what we do, but it also describes who we are. We're called sinners because we sin. We're called sinners, therefore we sin. We choose sin over and over again. So our key idea, if you want like a big uh, statement for what this whole sermon's about, is that sin ruined everything, but there is hope in God's promise of the seed. If you see in your notes, top left, there should be some blanks for you to fill in. Sin ruined everything, but there is hope in God's promise of the seed. Our first point is that sin ruined our hopes. Look at me at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Eve's hope was in a son. Was in a son. She has two kids, right? She has Cain and she has Abel. Just turn back with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. We'll see why she has, excuse me, we'll see the command that God gave to us. So Genesis 1, chapter 28. It says, and God blessed them, blessed Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air of heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In other words, be fruitful, multiply, that's have lots of babies. Raise the kids, fill the earth, be kings and queens over the earth, shape it, master it, rule over it for me. That's what God says. So when Eve has Cain and Abel, this is proof that God's command is still going to happen. They're still going to have kids, even though sin entered into the world. God's good purpose has not been totally destroyed. So despite sin, humanity would still flourish, would still take over the earth. It'd be painful, but it'd still be done. Now, as much as we love babies, I love babies, this success is more than just about two little cute ones. Right? Turn with me back to one chapter to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and read with me what God says to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity, that means fighting, hostility, enemies, between you and the woman, and between your offspring, or your seed, and her offspring, or her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first promise of the gospel. Because what it promises for the very first time, that one of Eve's offspring, or in our words, one of Eve's kids, one of her seeds, would be a conquering champion, a mighty warrior who would crush Satan's head and beat him for forever. That's the promise. That's what Eve knows. That's what God has said in her presence. So knowing that, what do you think she's thinking when she has a baby, when she sees Cain for the first time? Maybe she's thinking, is this the one? Is this the promised seed? Is this the promised champion that God is going to give to us? Is he the one that's going to set us free from sin and slavery and death forever? Or maybe she had Abel. So, well, maybe it was this one. Maybe it wasn't Cain. Maybe maybe it's Abel instead. Is he going to be the savior of the world? Is he going to be our promised Messiah? So she sets her hopes on her sons to save her from her sin. Well, things didn't turn out so well, did it? 
Abel got murdered. He cannot be the savior. He's dead. Cain was the murderer. He cannot be the savior. He's evil. So sin ruined even Eve's good hopes. Have you ever had your hopes dashed? Maybe you wanted to make, on the, make the soccer team, or you want to win the championship, or you want to go to Disneyland for your birthday, and then it didn't happen. It's not supposed to be this way. God's perfect world was a world in which everything we desired, we would receive. There was never a false promise. There was never a letdown. There was never disappointment. But sin ruined our world, even our hopes and our dreams, just like Eve's. But we're not done. Second point, sin ruined our relationship with God. Verses 3 to 7 describe Cain and Abel's relationship with God. Look at verse uh, beginning of verse 2 with me, or middle of verse 2. It says, And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, he's a shepherd, and Cain was a worker of the ground, he's a farmer. Verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought up to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So on a certain day, they get together, and they say, we're going to worship God, right? We're going to worship God, and we're going to bring the things that we, that we make or that we raise. Cain brings fruits and vegetables, and Abel brings his sheep, the firstborn and their fat portions. That's like the best part of the sheep. In this way, they knew that even before God had commanded later in the Bible that they should sacrifice animals and they should give offerings to him, that they were to give him gifts. Um, it's kind of like a Thanksgiving gift or like a, you are God, and we're admitting and confessing, you give us all these things anyways, and so it's a way to say thank you to you. We're going to give some of it back, um, similar to how we give offerings on Sunday. God then evaluates these worshipers and their offerings. Look at verse 4, middle of verse 4. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his, off and his offering. Regard means he, he had favor. He looked upon it. He's like, yeah, that's really good. Thumbs up. Verse 5. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Uh-oh. Right? What happened here? Abel gets a thumbs up. God is pleased with him and his offering. Cain doesn't. Cain gets a thumbs down. I mean, the, the question, of course, is why? My favorite question, why? Maybe it was, like, was Cain like ugly or something and God didn't like him? No, that's not it. The text says that Abel and his offering God looked upon, and Cain and his offering God looked upon. So this implies there's something that was in Abel and something that Abel brought that God was pleased with. So it's Cain's person, excuse me, it's Abel's person and Abel's gift. And there's something in Cain and in Cain's gift that God was not pleased with. So there's something about Cain and something about what Cain brought that was, some, and somehow, that was somehow wrong, somehow deficient. Maybe Cain had bad motives. Maybe he had a lack of love. Maybe he was lazy. Maybe he was only offering God something that you know, he felt like he had to, not because he wanted to. Or maybe Cain's offering wasn't really his best. Maybe it wasn't that costly to him. Maybe you know, he took all the rotten fruits and vegetables and gave it to God. Or maybe he just gave God the vegetables he didn't like anyways, like asparagus. Whatever it was, God was not pleased with Cain because something about Cain and something about what Cain gave was deficient. It didn't treat God as God deserved to be treated. In other words, to use our language, Cain didn't worship God rightly. He didn't worship or love or honor or adore or give thanks to God rightly. And so God rejected it. True worship sees God for who he really is and treats him like he deserves to be treated. 
But Cain, in his sin, did not treat God as he deserved. He didn't respect God. He didn't treasure God. He didn't honor God. He didn't love God. He didn't see God as big and wonderful, as the creator who deserves everything. He treated him like something lesser. Let's say you're to go home tonight, and you're waltz up to your dad. Go, hey, Bob. Assuming your dad's name is Bob. Go buy me some ice cream. And when you get back, uh, clean up my room, and then do my homework. How would he feel? Would that be fine? Like, okay, yeah, sure, I'll do that for you. No, right? You don't get the right to boss your dad around. No kid has that right. To do so would be ultimately disrespectful. It insults him because you're implying, you're not my dad, you're my slave. That's wrong, that's wrong. In a similar way, God deserves to be treated with honor because he is God, he is above all else. We don't get to boss him around. We don't get to treat him as light and as small. He is God. Now, how does Cain respond to God's disapproval? Beginning, middle of verse five, look. It says, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. In other words, Cain's throwing a temper tantrum. He's throwing a temper tantrum, not against his parents, but against his creator. He's angry, very angry against the God who made him, saying, you're wrong, God. But as a patient father, look how God responds. First, he points out Cain's anger and his pouting. Look at verse six. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And secondly, God lovingly warns Cain of the consequences of continuing his sin. Look at verse seven, or continuing seven. But if you do not do well, Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. It means it's against you. It wants to dominate you. But you must rule over it. In other words, God is saying to Cain, Cain, you don't need to be angry. Don't you see? If you worship me rightly, I will accept you. You'll be accepted just like Abel. It's not a mystery. If you do the right thing with the right heart, you'll be filled with joy. It'll be fine. And he continues, But sin is dangerous. Sin is crouching like a wild animal, waiting to destroy you. If you keep feeding this anger monster within you, if you keep doing what it wants you to do, it will burst out and you will be destroyed. Fight it. Don't let it win. God wants what's best for Cain. He's warning him. He's telling him the most truth because he loves him. God is being a friend. But how did Cain respond? Third point, sin ruined our relationship with others. Look at verse eight. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. And can you see them? Adam and Eve finding their boy's dead body in the field, weeping, crying. Abel, my son, my son, who did this to you? What happened? Why? Before they knew God's warning was true. In the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit, you shall surely die. But before this point, they had never seen anyone die. But now they held their dead son in their hands. Their beloved son, dead, gone forever. And can you imagine what they would have felt like when they found out that Cain was the one that did it? Why did you do this, Cain? How could you do this? He's your brother. He's the first, Cain is the firstborn of humanity. Their firstborn beloved son, 
this beloved gift from God. He was supposed to be their strength, the one that protected them, the one that watched over his younger siblings. He was supposed to be the promised seed, the Messiah, the Savior, the champion who destroyed the serpent, who be their Savior from sin. And what does he become instead? The very first murderer. And not just any murderer, but the very first person who would ever see death. And he would be the one that causes that death. He would be the one who had his blood-stained hands. And he didn't just kill, you know, an animal or even another human being. He killed his own brother, the one he grew up with, the one he knew from the moment that his brother was born. How did Cain respond to God's loving warning and instruction? He murdered Abel, the one whom God loved. 1 John 3 says that Cain was of the evil one. That means he was of Satan. And he slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Sin ruined everything. Cain was jealous of his brother and murdered him. Sin ruined everything. Even our relationship with our fellow man, even with our own family members. Cain stands on a long line of humanity plagued by broken relationships, bitterness, and murderous anger. If you've ever had a broken relationship in your life, or if you've ever fought with your parents, if you've ever been annoyed at one of your siblings, know that it started here with Cain. For such a crime, what does Cain deserve? Death. But look what God says in verse 9. Look what God says. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He doesn't ask this because he doesn't know. He's trying to initiate a conversation, trying to give Cain a chance to come clean. When God approached Adam in the garden, Adam answered somewhat truthfully. He said, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid, so I hid myself because I was naked. But look what Cain says. Verse 9. He said, I do not know. Really? Really, Cain? There's not that many people on the earth, right? First of all, doesn't God see everything? How can you not know? How can you lie so blatantly? But it doesn't stop there. Look, verse 9 continues. Am I my brother's keeper? Is that my responsibility, God? Really? Or to add irony, am I that shepherd's shepherd? Am I supposed to watch over him? Can't he watch over himself, God? He had sin to sin by pouring forth sarcastic, sinful lies to God. Of course, God's not fooled. Look at verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In other words, God hears the guilty cry of blood, calling out for justice, calling out for vengeance. And now, he pronounce, now God pronounces righteous judgment on Cain. Verse 11. And now you're cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Before God cursed the serpent and the earth. But now he curses a man. He curses Cain directly. He, Cain, the farmer, will be cursed to work the ground, but the ground would not actually give him strength. It would be forever be futile. And instead of living with his friends and his family, he'd be cast out, he'd be exiled from God's presence and exiled from the people of God for the rest of his life. Sin had conquered him, and he would suffer the consequences. Do you see what sin has done? Sin has ruined Cain's relationship with God. Cain doesn't love God or treat him as God deserves. 
to treat him as he deserves. Sin has ruined Cain's relationship with his brother. He killed him. And sin has ruined his relationship with his entire family. Now he lives as an outcast, a loner, in exile. But we're not done. Look at how Cain responds. He doesn't respond to thankfulness. He doesn't respond asking for forgiveness. Instead, he complains. Look at verse 13. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. His false worship, his sinful murder, his lying, and his complaining reveal his heart. Cain is obsessed with himself. You notice what he says? It's my punishment. You've driven me. I will be hidden. I'll be a wanderer. They will kill me. Right? He's worried about himself. He's like, God, I don't want to die. I don't want to get murdered. I mean, why is Cain so obsessed with him? What about Abel? What about the ground that was cursed by Abel's blood? What about your grieving parents, Cain? But no, all he sees is himself. He says, my punishment's too great. He's self-pitying. And he's obsessed with self-love. Now, if you, don't know the, if you didn't know the story, let's say we stopped here, what would you expect to happen to Cain? Death, right? Instant judgment, God goes, okay, opens up the ground, he's dead, forever gone. Get rid of that guy, right? Moving on. Moving on. Abel had died and gone to heaven, population one, and now Cain would die and go to hell, population one. That's not what happens, though. Not at all. Look at verse 15. God extends mercy to him. Then the Lord said to him, No, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So to this first murder in the history of the world, God extends protection. Cain deserves to be killed for his sin, and God will guard him from being killed. Just like God extended mercy to Adam and Eve, he would also extend mercy to Cain. Mercy means Love that he does not deserve. Cain definitely does not deserve this kind of love. And God would give it to him. But the punishment of exile from Eden and from all of other humanity, from the family of God, would still rest on Cain's head. Then Cain, verse 16, went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, away uh, east of Eden. So what shall we say? Sin has ruined everything. Cain didn't worship God as he should have. His relationship with God was ruined. Cain did not respond to God properly with asking for forgiveness or thanksgiving or with joy. Instead, he got even more angry. He he murdered his brother. He lied directly to God's face. He scorned God. He hardened his heart against repentance, and he complained about a punishment for his sin. This is the firstborn of humanity. This is the best of the best. This is our guy, and he's this bad. But what about you? Let's say someone is better than you at sport or some game or in knowledge or at school. Do you rejoice in God's kindness to them or are you jealous and envious and you hate them in your heart? When you sin, you hit your brother, you're cruel to your classmates, you disobey your parents, you lie to your teacher. How do you respond when someone confronts you, or even when you, your conscience is telling you, 
you know you're wrong. Don't do that. You know you're wrong. How do you respond? You get angry? Or do you ask for God for forgiveness and you change? Just to use a small example, let's say your mom tells you to stop playing video games. You don't listen. 15 minutes later, she comes and says, honey, you're disobeying me right now. You're sinning. You're not listening. What do you say to her in response? Do you say, you know, mom, I'm so thankful you love me. You're right. I'm so bad. Please forgive me for getting mad at you for disobeying. I'll stop playing, you know. And can I kind of help you with anything, mom? I've never responded like that to my mom. Like, for sure, no. <laughs> and I'm willing to bet you don't either. We don't respond, even when people love us, we don't respond well when they confront our sin. We get angry. We defend ourselves. We run. We hide. We sin again. We lie about it. That's because we're sons and daughters of Cain. We have the same murderous anger. We have the same lying tongue. We have the same stubborn heart. Sin ruined everything. Sin ruined you. Sin ruined me. Because of our sin, our worship with God is broken. Naturally, we hate God. Because of our sin, our relationship with other people is broken. We don't love other people. We love ourselves. But sin's consequences don't stop there. We're not done yet. Sin means that you deserve punishment from God because you're a sinner. You deserve punishment from God for your sin, and the punishment that he says we deserve is hell. An eternity away from him, an eternity separated from all of his goodness, an eternity away from the people of God. Just as a criminal deserves to be punished for his crimes, we, the sinners, deserve to be punished for our sins for forever. And we're all guilty without exception. What are you going to do about your sin? What are you going to do about your sin? God promised Eve in Genesis chapter 3, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From that point on, Adam and Eve are looking. Who's the offspring? Who's the kid that's going to come and save us? Who's the promised Messiah? Who's the conquering champion? Who's the warrior? Who's the defeater of even Satan? It's not Cain, he's a murderer. It's not Abel, he's dead. It's not even Seth, who was born to replace Abel. Nor was it Seth's son, Enosh. It wasn't Seth's grandson, Kenan. It wasn't Seth's great-grandson, Mahalalel. The promised seed is Jesus Christ. He is the promised Messiah. He's the one who was promised all the way from Genesis 3 to come and be the Savior. He's Adam and Eve's only hope. And he's ours, too. He's the one who defeated sin, Satan, and death by his own death and resurrection on the cross. He's the one who initiates conversation, relationship with sinners like us. He stretches out his hand in love, even to the angry one, even to the murderous one, even to the stubborn one like you and me. He's the one who by his own blood paid the penalty that we deserve for our sin. So if you believe in him, you don't have to go to hell because he paid it all. He's the one who gives us his perfect righteousness. Hebrews 12 says that the sprinkled blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. That means Jesus' perfect death is better than the death of Abel. Abel's blood cried out, vengeance, justice must be done. And Jesus' blood cries out, salvation is finished. 
Justice is done. If you turn from your sin and trust in this Christ, this Savior, you'll be saved. If you trust that he died for your sins, he rose again from the dead, you'll be his. Stop living for yourself and for your sin. Come to Christ. He'll make you a new person who wants to love him. Christ will restore your relationship with God. This is the Savior. This is the Savior. Sin ruined everything. But Jesus reverses the ruin of sin. He makes all things, even sinners, new. So come to him, and he'll save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you saved sinners. You saved me. You saved millions of people who have hated you, who've done everything they could do to run from you, and yet in your kindness, you sought them out. And you showed them the beauty of Jesus Christ. That he's our only hope, Lord. Remind us that sin ruins everything. Remind us that sin is terrible. And that Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. Jesus is stronger. And that Jesus alone saves. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would press this truth into our heart. That you receive all the honor from these lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.